0: Not here, are you ready for the word of God? Let's open our hearts as we welcome Pastor Isaac. Hi, good evening, everyone. It's a cool evening, and it is great to worship the Lord together in His house. Well, as promised, this is the fourth installment of the story and with this we will bring it to the conclusion now in case you have not been with us for the previous three weeks i'll just summarize very quickly satan had accused job a righteous man of fearing god only because of the many blessings in his life and his divine protection And that if God would remove these protections and remove the blessings from his life, he would turn and curse God to the face. And God allowed Job to be tested because God knew the heart of Job. And one day, he lost all his possessions and his ten children. But instead of cursing God, Job worshipped God. And he was willing to accept not just good things from God, but also evil things in the sense of bad things, knowing that God was the sovereign God who allowed everything. And his three friends heard of his suffering, came to comfort him. But their theology was simplistic and cruel, effectively telling him that all righteous people will prosper, and all wicked people will be punished in this life. So Job You must have done something terribly wrong and your children must have committed some terrible sins. Of course, Job did not accept this reasoning and theology. And he held on to God, but as his suffering rolled on for months, he fell into depression and began to say things about God that was not true, like God was his enemy. His friends failed to comfort him nor convince him. And then a young man, last week we heard, Elihu came on the scene, and he gave a new understanding to Job's suffering, saying that God sometimes allows pain to get our attention. It is like an early warning signal that something is going on inside that we need to do something about. And he allows pain to get our attention, to deliver us from pride that may be hidden in our hearts that may lead to destruction. And when God allows the fire of suffering, it is not to destroy us but to purify us as gold is purified by fire. And the pain that He allows in our lives is not the pain caused by an executioner's whip but a surgeon lovingly cutting and taking out that which will kill the patient in a matter of time. So... It is to refine. It is not to punish. It is to take the pride out of our lives. And from there, we jump on to the last sermon. In chapter 38, if you open your Bibles to Job 38, you'll be able to follow because I won't be able to read all the verses. There are still six chapters to go and we won't be looking at all the verses. And let's just ask God to speak to us. Father, we pray for your Holy Spirit to... Minister your word deep into our hearts so that your word will bear fruit in our lives. For your glory we ask in Jesus' name. All the gospel people say, Amen. Amen. Chapter 38, verse 1, then the Lord spoke to Job. It was God's turn to speak. After all the people had spoken, Job and his three friends and Elihu, in chapter 38, the Lord spoke out of a storm and he said, who is this that obscures my plans with words without knowledge? God is speaking to Job. And then Job responds, verse 3, Surely I spoke of things I did not understand. Too wonderful, things too wonderful for me to know. How many of you have ever spoken nonsense before? Raise your hand, come on. Okay, all the humble people, huh? sometimes we don't know what we are talking about but we are very confident you know, uh, Pastor Lydia is not here so I can say this <laughs> sometimes she tells me you speak as if you know huh? you don't even know but you're so confident <laughs> okay I, I sometimes make a lot of assumptions too <laughs> okay so Job said you know I spoke of things that I, were too wonderful for me to know and but God was not satisfied. God said in verse 3, Brace yourself like a man. Job, I will question you. It's time for Job to answer questions. Because Job was questioning God. Okay. Now, it is Job's turn to be put on trial, so to speak. I will question you, you will answer me. And God asked him questions about basically his universe. Okay. First, there's the world below Verse 4, where were you when I laid the earth's foundations? Tell me if you understand. Now, how are you going to answer this question if God asks you, where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth? (laughs) I don't know. (laughs) I was in my mother's womb. No, long before that. Okay, I, I was not there. I don't know how you did it. All right, who shut up the sea behind doors when it burst far from the womb? In other words, who sets the limits of the sea? That he can only cross that much and not further. Jobs was speechless. He, he couldn't understand. He couldn't un- answer. He was not there, of course. Verse 12 Have you ever given orders to the morning or shown the dawn its place? Huh? Any of you ever ordered the sun to rise? Huh? Tonight, tomorrow, this morning, I'm sleeping in my sun. Please rise. Huh? Huh? No. The sun will not obey us. Okay, God is always the one who orchestrates it, okay? He put it in place that it will just happen. Have you journeyed to the springs of the sea, verse 16, or walked in the recesses of the deep? Again, Job, have you been to the bottom of the ocean? Okay. Do you think you know enough to argue with God? And then God asks him about the world above. Verse 22, have you entered the storehouse of the snow, or seen the storehouses of the hail. Okay, now, any of you have seen hail before? Okay, it can be frightening, I tell you. About 10 years ago or more, about 10 years ago, we were in Colorado when our, Joao, our son Joel graduated. So we went up this little, you know, park, and suddenly, it started to rain. And so we took shelter, you know, in a small hut. And then it started to hail. At first we thought, wow, very nice to see a hail. After that, it became bigger and bigger. <laughs> and the hail was so bad that, you know, it was covering up the place. And before long, the rangers came to evacuate us. <laughs> because, you know, people get drowned in that place, you know. Right? And we were running for our lives, you know. Uh, it can be really frightening, to be caught in a thunderstorm. Trust me, I have been there. Okay, They thought you know, we would die. So they came to rescue us, okay? the park rangers, and evacuated us. So, he, so God asked Job, do you know where I reserve this for times of trouble, for days of war and battle? There were times when God literally used hail to destroy the enemies of Israel. So they are his secret weapon. And Job couldn't answer. And God said, okay, lift your eyes higher above. Verse 31, Can you bind the chains of the Pleiades? Can you loosen Orion's belt? Can you bring forth the constellations in their seasons? Or lead out the bear with its cups? Do you know the laws of the heavens? Even today, scientists are still postulating huh? a black hole, you know, a star being eaten up, and so on. Until today, man is still trying to understand the laws of the heavens and still discovering new things. Of course, Job did not know, and so it's God like saying to him, "Okay, since you have no idea, we'll come back down to earth." Okay. Do you send the lightning bolts on their way? Do they report to you? Here we are. So every question God asks, whether it's about the earth, sea, the dawn, the snow, the hail, the constellation, the rain, Job cannot answer. He doesn't know. He's speechless. And yet he's surrounded. Above, below, by all the mysteries of creation. And so are we. We only know how to enjoy creation. We don't know how they all work. But we, do, they, we know they do work. Even in the last 200 years, with all the scientific advancements, there is still so much we do not know about our physical world, the world outside, the world up there. The world inside of us, even the smallest particle, remains a mystery still. I mean, the scientists have many theories right, as to what it is, but it's so small, you cannot see it. So this is the mystery of the world around us. God asking more questions. Do you hunt the prey for the lioness who provides food for the raven? Do you know when the mountain goats give birth? Do you watch when the doe bears her fawn? In other words, Job doesn't know, but God knows all these details of nature. And then he goes on to the wild donkey, the wild ox, which we have no time to look at. And there's a very interesting creature in verse 16. She treats her young harshly as if they were not hers. You know, she lays the eggs and then she walks away. <laughs> she cares not that her labor was in vain. Why? For God did not endow her with wisdom or give her a share of good sense. Even the foolish things are by design. God did not give them Wisdom, so to speak. But still, God governs them all. Of course, not all the animals are foolish and useless. Verse 19, Do you give the horse its strength or clothe its neck with a flowing mane? So, Joe is unable to answer whether it has to do with the animals or nature, the heavens. And then he still goes on to, you know, talk about uh, more things and yet in all this job is ignorant but you know what this ignorant job presumed to question the ways of god it's like he doesn't know and yet he asks god to answer him so after all that the lord said to job will the one who contends with the almighty correct him Let him who accuses God answer him. And there's a pause. Then Job answered the Lord. I am unworthy. How can I reply you? I put my hand over my mouth. I spoke once. I have no answer. Twice. But I will say no more. (laughs) He dare not talk anymore. He cannot answer, but he's getting the point. A finite creature who has no wisdom or limited wisdom to run this world is utterly ignorant of all of God's creation. Therefore, should not presume to instruct his maker and the ruler of the universe how to run his universe and complain that God hasn't done what is right. And God continues. Then the Lord spoke to Job, verse 6, out of the storm, brace yourself like a man. I will question you and you shall answer me. Would you discredit my justice? Would you condemn me to justify yourself? He's getting to the point now. It's not about the animals. It's about God and his justice. Whether he does what is right would you condemn me to justify yourself? Do you have an arm like God's? Now, uh, this is this is just God speaking human language. It's not like God has a giant, you know, arm. <laughs> okay, <laughs> God is not physical, right? But for us to understand, He has to speak in physical terms. You know? Can you? Can your voice thunder like His? Then adorn yourself with glory and splendor. Clothe yourself with honor and majesty. Unleash the fury of your wrath. Look at all who are proud and bring them low. Now, that's a very important question here. God asked Job, do you have an arm like God's? Which means, you know, do you have power, might like God? And the question is, are God's ways right simply because he's mighty? This can be a disturbing argument. Are God's ways right simply because he is mighty? Does God mean that we are to submit to his ways simply because we have no choice? His arm is powerful, you know, we cannot twist his arm. Huh? Are we supposed to acknowledge his right simply because he has might? Or in the words of the world today, might is right. Is might always right? Is it is something right and good just because God does it? You see, God's might does not make right in the sense that he can do anything he he wants with no purpose, arbitrarily, irrationally, and sometimes in a capricious way, like the gods of the land surrounding Israel, and still, you have no choice but to say, yeah, God, you're always right. La. You know, after all, I cannot argue with you. You are too powerful for me, so I better kowtow, you know. No, that's not what it means. God's power God's might always comes with responsibility and purpose. God uses his might to humble the proud and crush the wicked and bless the humble. And for those who watch Spider-Man, with great power comes great responsibility. Wow, you all know to study theology. (laughs) You can get your theology from... Hollywood. (laughs) Some of it has an echo of truth, okay? So God does not use His might in an arbitrary manner. He uses it in a very responsible manner for good purpose only. In other words, God is right not just because of His might but because through His might He accomplishes His holy purposes for His glory. And for our good, our long-term ultimate good. Amen? Amen. So you don't have to be afraid. Because if someone has all power, you will either be very secure or you'll be very fearful. It all depends on the character of the person. Okay? If he's loving and kind, then you are very secure. You know, If you walk through a dark alley and there's a muscle man walking beside you, How would you feel if the guy is a good man you feel very secure if the guy is an evil man you better run for your life (laughs) okay so might does not make right by itself but in this case god's might is always used for his own holy purposes and so He does not withhold good things from those who walk uprightly. That's what the psalmist is confident of. Psalm 84, verse 11. God withholds no good from those who walk uprightly. So therefore, we can submit to him, knowing that he is a good God. Now, after God speaks, this is how Job finally replies. Verse one forty-two. Then Job replied to the Lord, I know that you can do all things. No purpose of yours can be thwarted. You asked, who is this that obscures my plans without knowledge? He's quoting from what God said in chapter 38. Okay. Surely I spoke of things I did not understand, things too wonderful for me to know. You said, listen now and I will speak. I will question you. You shall answer me. My ears have heard of you, but now my eyes have seen you. My ears have heard of you, but now my eyes have seen you. Therefore, I despise myself and repent in dust and ashes. Now what's the lesson? God is sovereign, and He always does what is right and good. You say, "Amen." He always does what is right and good, and no one can withhold can. Prevent him from accomplishing his purposes. So, if we have grumbled, questioned, or faulted God in how He has treated us, the rightful response is what Job did. I repent in dust and ashes. George Mueller from Bristol, England, was a man of God who did great things. And yet, on February 6, 1870, his wife Mary died of rheumatic fever. They had they'd been married for 39 years. And at her funeral, God gave him the strength to preach. And this is what he said. I miss her in numberless ways and shall miss her yet more and more. But as a child of God and as a servant of the Lord Jesus, I bow. I am satisfied with the will of my Heavenly Father. I seek by perfect submission to His holy will to glorify Him. I will kiss continually the hand that has thus afflicted me. You see, George Miller had a robust, a strong theology, like Job. The Lord has given, the Lord has taken away. Shall we not shall we accept good from God and not evil? George Mueller knew that God is sovereign and God is good. Job said, My eyes are now open. He now had first hand knowledge. Before that, he only heard of God. Now he says, I have seen God, and he is a broken and changed man. He bows in reverent submission. He says, I know that you can do all things. No purpose of yours can be thwarted. He confesses that God is the absolute sovereign and no one can stop him from his purpose. So I despise myself, I repent in dust and ashes because he's guilty of questioning the ways of God. And that's what happens when we finally see God when we have a revelation of who God is, when we really see God, this is what happens. Isaiah the prophet saw God. Isaiah 6, he said, Woe is me, for I am lost. For I am a man of unclean lips, for my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Isaiah 6, 5. When Peter saw the miraculous catch of fish, when Jesus entered the boat and told them what to do, he confessed, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man. You see, before Job saw God this way, he actually thought quite highly of himself, did not hesitate to claim that he was righteous but now he sees God more clearly and he repents. You know, if we do not feel grief for our sin that we are deeply unworthy of God's goodness we need to ask God to show himself to us so that God will not just be mere doctrine but we will encounter Him so that we will see Him for who He is. That He is an awesome God. You know, the word awesome is a biblical word. But the problem is language is so corrupted today and so trivialized. We use these words for trivial things. Oh, the ice cream was awesome. You know? <laughs> really? Really? <laughs> The fire come down from heaven and burn it all up? <laughs> we use these words in trivial ways and it loses its meaning. Only when we see God, then we realize, wow, this is really awesome. He's infinitely holy. He's dreadful and yet wonderful at the same time. Jonathan Edwards was a great man of God. If you read his biography, you realize that he was an, an extraordinary man. You know, many people make resolutions at the year end, and by January, they've broken most of it. But he made a series of resolutions. I can't remember it was 50 or 70 resolutions. And they were all very, very detailed. And he kept those resolutions for, for his life, you know. And that's why he was such an effective man of God. But... One day he encountered God and this is what he wrote after he encountered God. He said, I have had a vastly greater sense of my own wickedness and the badness of my heart than ever I had before my conversion. My wickedness as I am in myself has long appeared to me perfectly ineffable. In other words, I, I can't understand. Is there. Swallowing up all thought and imagination like an infinite deluge or mountain over my head, I know not how to express better what my sins appear to me to be than by heaping infinite upon infinite and multiplying infinite by infinite. So, when you catch a glimpse of who God is and you realize how sinful we are and this is what happened to Job before that he was challenging God God show me my sin show me my iniquity now he puts his hand on his mouth because he has seen the holy God. Then God humbles Job's three friends. 42.7 After the Lord had said these things to Job, he said to Eliphaz the Temanite, I am angry with you and your two friends because you have not spoken the truth about me as my servant Job has. So now, take seven bulls and seven rams and go to my servant Job and sacrifice a burnt offering for yourselves. My servant Job will pray for you and I will accept his prayer and not deal with you according to your folly. You have not spoken the truth about me as my servant Job has. So Eliphaz the Temanite Bildad the Shuhite and Zophar the Naamathite did what the Lord told them and the Lord accepted Job's prayers. You see, this is what God said to them. You have not spoken of me what is right as my servant Job has. Therefore go and seek forgiveness. You have wrongly accused him. You have said to him that you must have done something terribly wicked. That's why God is punishing you. But that's not true you assume that the wicked are always punished in this life. The righteous are always rewarded. But that was not true. Sometimes the wicked prosper more. They make more money. In this life, the righteous sometimes suffer more than the wicked. They has claimed that all justice would be worked out in this life. But we know that sometimes even dictators die before going to court. Job eventually came to realize that much of the wrong in this world would only be made right in the life after death. That's why in this statement, Job 19.25, he said, I know that my Redeemer lives and that in the end He will stand on the earth and after my skin has been destroyed. When your skin has been destroyed, are you still alive? Hello? You can't live without your skin, by the way. Okay. Yet Job confidently asserts, after my skin has been destroyed, yet in my flesh, I will see God. I myself will see Him. With my own eyes, I and not another how my heart yearns within me. So he believed that one day he will have resurrection. Even if he does not get what he deserves in this life, even if his his fortune is not reversed in this life, he was confident that one day he will stand and he will see God and all the wrongs will be made right. His heart yearns. For that, so God humbled the three friends by correcting them and saying, "You have spoken what is not right. My servant Job has spoken what is right. Most of the time, he spoke what was right. There were times he said God was his enemy, but he was depressed, so it's okay, (laughs) right? (laughs) And now they have to come and ask him for forgiveness." And they had condemned him as a, as a man who had done bad things and now they're asking him to pray. And he has, they have to reconcile to Job. Okay. Before they could be reconciled to God, they had to be reconciled to Job. And now Job has to pray for them. And God proves Job's repentance because what would Job do? These three fellows have given him no peace. He's already suffering in agony. And they are telling him, repent. You have done some terrible sin. And Job can't think of what terrible sin. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> now, he has a chance of saying, serves you right. Okay. <laughs> you are all terrible, miserable comforters now he has a choice whether he would pray for them or not <laughs> he has a choice to make will he forgive them or will he hold it against them or will he bless those who curse him remember at this time job is still very sick okay he still has boils all over his body all Right. Matthew 6.14 says, If you forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father also will forgive you. But if you do not forgive men their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Okay? So, as a sign of Job willing to turn, he said, I repent in dust and ashes. The sign of his repentance was that he also forgave Willing to forgive the three friends and pray for them as well. This was the test, the last test. How could he not forgive them when God has forgiven him? If God can forgive us, how can we not forgive the people who has wronged us? And so God accepts his prayer, and the book closes. The hidden pride in Job's heart has been taken out through the pain of suffering. The bad theology of his three friends have been corrected. Their foolishness has been humbled. The honor of God's name has been vindicated because Satan say, "If you were just removed." His blessings, he will curse you to your face. But he did not. Job did not fear God only for his blessings. Isaiah 55, 9. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, my thoughts than your thoughts. Job didn't know until the end that God was working out his purposes. And of course, this story ended very nicely. Could you look in your own Bible and read it for yourself now? Job 42. What's your Bible? Come on, it's not on the screen. (laughs) Job 42. And look at verse 10. And the Lord restored Job's losses when he prayed for his friends. Indeed, the Lord gave Job twice as much as he had before. Then all his brothers, all his sisters, and all those who had been his acquaintances before came to him and ate food with him in his house, and they consoled him and comforted him for all the adversity that the Lord had brought upon him. Each one gave him a piece of silver, and each a ring of gold. Now the Lord blessed the latter days of Job more than his beginning, for he had 14,000 sheep, 6,000 camels, 1,000 yoke of oxen, and 1,000 female donkeys. He also had seven sons and three daughters. See, he had ten more children. (laughs) Okay, (laughs) And he called the name of the first Jemima. It's a beautiful name. And the name of the second, Keziah. I haven't met one yet. And the name of the third, Karen Hapuch. You wouldn't want that one too. (laughs) But in all the land were found no woman so beautiful as the daughters of Job. So the name may not be beautiful, but the daughter is beautiful, Okay. (laughs) And their fathers gave them an inheritance among their brothers. After this, Job lived 140 years and saw his children and grandchildren and great-grandchildren and great-great-grandchildren for generations. So Job died old and full of days the end no 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 (laughs) does it mean that every servant of god will be rewarded like that at the end of their lives if you read the whole bible you know that's not true because some of the saints died as martyrs some were not healed and they died but what we do know is that all of God's people will triumph over the enemy, the accuser. Can you say amen? Revelation 12 verse 10 says, Then I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, Now have come the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of His Messiah for the accuser. Huh? Who is this? Accuser. He's still around. He was there in Job. And he's still around. The accuser of our brothers and sisters who accuses them before our God day and night has been held down. They triumph over him by the blood of the Lamb. Amen? Satan is still accusing God's people. But believers have conquered him by the blood of the Lamb because the blood of Jesus Christ that is shed on the cross has paid for our sins. Can you say amen? And Satan has no ground to accuse us anymore. He has cleansed us. He's paid the price. And he says they triumph over him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony. And what is their testimony? They did not love their lives so much as to shrink from death. What is their testimony? God, is more valuable to me than even life itself. Can you say amen? That is their testimony. And that is the kind of testimony that always defeats the power of the evil one. Can you say amen? And his accusations that God's people only serve him for the benefits. This is the testimony that says this is not true. I do not serve God just for His blessings. I serve God because of who He is. And I love Him more than life itself. And that is what shames the devil. And that is what it may cost some of us. Some of us may have an ending like Job. Happily ever after. Prosperous to the end. Others will only receive their reward on the other side. Hebrews 11 talks about all the heroes of faith who did mighty exploits. But then in verse 35, it says there were others who were tortured, refusing to be released so that they might gain an even better resurrection. Some faced jeers and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were put to death by stoning. They were sawed in two. They were killed by the sword. They went about in sheepskin and goatskins, destitute, persecuted and mistreated. The world was not worthy of them. They wandered in deserts and mountains, living in caves and in holes in the ground. They were all commended for their faith. Can you say amen? God didn't say, Oh yeah, these people fail me. That's why you know I abandoned them. No. They were all commended for their faith. Yet none of them received what had been promised in this life because they will only receive it on the other side. Jesus speaks to his church, Revelation 2.10. Do not be afraid of what you are about to suffer. I tell you, the devil will put some of you in prison to test you and you will, be per- you will suffer persecution for 10 days, but be faithful even To the point of death. And I will give you life as your victor's crown. So, right from the very beginning, Job is one of the earliest books of the Bible. Satan is accusing. And until Revelation, he's still at it. He's still at it. This is the life of faith. James 5, 11, Behold, we call those happy who were steadfast. You have heard of the steadfastness of Job. You have, and you have seen the purpose of the Lord, how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. What is the purpose of the Lord? It is the purpose of, the purpose of God is to prove that God is worthy of our worship. He is more precious and anything in life, even life itself. The purpose of the Lord is to show that He is very compassionate and merciful. And whatever He does is out of love to bring us into this supreme blessedness in this life and the age to come. Because there's no greater gift that our compassionate and merciful God can give to us then the gift that can never be lost. What is that gift that can never be lost? It's the gift of himself. Because when you have God, you have everything you need. And you can never lose that. Can you say amen? Because finally, the gift that Job discovered, greater than every other gift, was the gift of God himself John 17:3 Jesus says and this is eternal life that we may know you the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent The greatest gift in this life is not the material blessings although we are grateful for them it's not even our family even though They are precious and priceless. It's not even our health. The greatest gift we have in this life is the gift of knowing Him, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom the Father has sent. When you have this gift, you have a gift that you can never lose. Amen? Let's pray. As we come to a conclusion of this sermon and this four-week series, let us affirm once again that our God is sovereign. Our God is almighty. And our God is all-wise. Even though we cannot understand all His ways, we can always trust in His heart, His goodness, because He always does what is right and good and he will always make right all the wrongs. Even if we don't receive our reward in this life, we can still trust and serve him because he is our greatest reward. So as we conclude with this song of affirmation, let's make that declaration. God. You are great. Your work is perfect. All your ways are just. I trust in you. And as we sing this song, if you need prayer for any need in your life, feel free to come forward. Less than.